Hey, what is up, everybody, and welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast. How's it going, my dude? It's going. I'm back from vacation. That is true. I forgot that happened entirely. Yeah, my first real actual vacation in, I think, since November 2016. What year is now? Uh, 2018, I Whoa, think. Whoa, that's a while. And I also Apparently. turned 27 on Monday. That's true. So I am now an old man, and uh, I think I'm falling apart, actually. It's not better. No. Actually, it's fine. I'm okay with it. Oh. As much as people love to make old people jokes, like, Anna was asking me, how do you feel now that you're 27? And I said, well, I feel healthier than I've ever been, and mm. I'm doing pretty good, actually. I don't feel too to bad about be being past old. your prime. <laughs> what a world. You're not past your prime. You just have to, you know, rethink what your prime is. Like, my prime skill in certain video games was when I was 13. I'm certainly past that prime. My prime Monster Hunter That's skills okay. up, you know? I'm at that. I'm You're at, at your prime, prime right now? Monster Hunter. That's true. And you have another Monster Hunter game coming out. Yes. And what, like, when is that coming out? No the, idea. The uh, Switch one. I can't keep track of time. Sometime this year, I think. Okay. Probably. What's a year? Oh, wait a minute. Isn't there a Nintendo Direct happening? Like... Well, I, think I don't know. It will have already happened once I this am, episode goes uh, out. But apparently, not involved in the world enough to know anything mm. that is happening. Well, then, knowledge for you. There Yay. is a Nintendo Direct happening very soon. I like that. I just want to shout out this guy right here to anybody watching the video feed of the podcast. You got me this this cool Splatoon plushie. Oh yeah, duh. That is on the set, but I think is kind of hidden by all of our books. Oh well, that, so you know that happens. Thank you for this cool set edition. I will find a way to more prominently feature it the next time we build a set, which will be much better than this set. But uh, this week, we are going to talk about something that I think, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that this is a direct result of us doing that 10 lessons episode, because this was your idea. I don't remember. Well, we're going to talk about how to take criticism. Yeah. And in that episode, we had this whole discussion about kids needing to learn how to lose yeah, all that kind true. of stuff. So I was wondering if that maybe gave you the inspiration. Uh, no, but that's actually pretty, this. that's fairly fitting, you know, so okay. there's probably some good stuff coming from that angle too. So what gave you the inspiration, if not that then? Uh, I got a tweet. I got oh. a tweet from... Uh, somebody asking? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, asking about how to handle um, constructive criticism when it comes to their coding without being like annoyed, at, you mm, know. Okay. I think this is actually an interesting topic. So I thought, let's expand it. And, you know, because yeah. uh, Ashley and Anna went to design school where constantly you got to put all your work on the wall and yeah, everybody yeah. has to criticize it and be like, everything is garbage. Yeah. Here's why. And you got you to learn to deal with that. And criticism is the easiest path to getting better at stuff because that's why we want a teacher or a coach or anyone because their job is literally to tell us how we are slightly wrong and how to be slightly less wrong. Mm-hmm. And if we're not willing to take criticism... We have to take the long way to learning anything. Yeah. Yeah, this is a topic that at first glance seems really simple, but I think there's actually a lot that could be said in the pursuit of being able to deal with those feelings of hurt that come with being criticized. Yeah. I think that's the ultimate goal that people want to get to is be able to take criticism without – I don't think you're ever going to not feel hurt, but without letting that be the driving emotion. Yeah. Yeah. That you know that stays with you after the initial shock of the criticism, I guess. So, I mean, you came with this idea. So, what are some initial thoughts? Well, so my very first thoughts 
which, uh, of course, a lot of this, you know, it's going to be hard because this isn't such a direct topic. It's an abstract thing, and it's a mindset change. It's not like all you got to do is time block. There's no concrete thing yeah. to say. You know, I can't tell you to snap your fingers three times, and now you're magically less hurt by criticism. So it's a slow mindset change that you sort of practice and, mm. and get better at over time. But for me, what helps is that, one, my very most valued trait in myself to have and to cultivate is humility. Okay. So at all times, no matter what I'm doing, there is always someone who could tell me how to do it slightly better. There is always mm. someone who could help show me, even if they don't mean to. Even if it's just like, oh, from example, I understand something now. I think I could learn something from everyone at all times. And I think that that is an important life thing in general. But also when taking criticism, it's better because I'm prepared for them to be able to show me something I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. So one of the things I said as a response to that tweet in general was um, in the mindset of a curious student, all new knowledge is welcomed Mm. and new information is a chance to learn. Yeah, But exactly. in the mindset of a proud master, all new information is threatening because it might show you yeah. you're not quite the master that you think you are. Mm-hmm. So you do not want to be in a situation where you're scared to improve your knowledge base because mm-hmm. it might show you don't know things. I remember seeing a tweet from James Clear the other day, and I believe the way that he phrased it was that the only truly creative people out there are the ones who have nothing because once you have something, you are now – you want to protect it. Right. Yeah. So you're going to be a little bit reactionary to anything new that comes into your life if it seems to threaten that which you have. I mean, we are a lot more sensitive to the, to potential loss than potential gain. Yeah. For obvious reasons, you know, our ancestors didn't want to be eaten or killed. No, I don't want to lose my limbs. I look, I use them. Yeah. For so various things. You know, threats are to be taken seriously. But I think that if you can cultivate a mindset of never believing you have it all, whether it be knowledge or whether it be uh, you know, status or whether it be just even material possessions, like always thinking there's something more to be gained, then you are going to be more open to new ideas. And I think you're going to be more creative because you don't believe that you have everything already. And you're not going to believe that the only, you know, the only thing to do is protect it. You're not like the dragon hoarding the treasure at this point. Yeah. You know, yeah. You're still the adventurer and trying to find it. Like on, on that, on a similar note, you're going to want to you know, we put our identity into things. Mm-hmm. We care about the work we do, particularly creative work, but anything because humans want to be validated yeah. and accepted. And a lot of what we're upset about has nothing to do with the criticism because we might literally be thinking they're right, but no, I'm going to fight it anyway <laughs> because I wanted them to accept me and they didn't. They didn't validate yeah. my progress. And That's but something progress, that Anna and I actually vocally say a lot. Yeah. When, you know, one of us will point out something the other is doing that's wrong, and <laughs> the person who is being criticized will say, I know you're right, but I'm mad at you anyway. <laughs> that's that's better. That's self-aware, and it's funny. Yep. But I think on the note of it being about validating your progress, that's what you want to focus on mm-hmm. is um, the work itself, not the product. Yeah. So to take that coding example, if I code a really cool project, a really cool website that does something I don't know, it creates cats. It literally 3D prints living cats. You just press a button. And uh, if I put all of my pride and identity as the guy who made that website and there's something wrong with it or there's a criticism for it, I feel like it's me now. Mm. I am hurt. But if I identify not – I don't care about that project. I care about the work that goes into it. It was just a milestone 
toward future progress. I'm still working at all times. So now somebody who tells me how to fix it, they're not threatening my accomplishment that I need to sit on and protect, like you said. Yeah. They're telling me, hey, do you, you want to keep working, right? That's your identity is that you keep coding on stuff. Okay. Here's more stuff to code. You could do this better. And I say, thank you, actually, because I'm now really excited to continue working on the thing that I love. Mm, so it's essentially the difference between wrapping your identity up in that one project you did versus having a solid internally you know, centered identity and being confident that even if something you made has flaws, it's not, it's not saying that you have flaws. It's that, you know, the thing has flaws and, uh, you know, you can improve upon them. Yeah. And if you identify as just doing the work, then you're saying, first of all, they're accepting your identity, right? They're, they're accepting. I'm the kind of person who codes stuff. So when they gave me something to code, then they're viewing me how I wanted them to Mm -hmm. as somebody who would be excited to code this. Yeah. And that's, I think, a better way to look at it in general. And a lot of it is just about everyone could teach me something. If you're ready to protect your project and it's all you have, first of all, you can't keep growing. Yeah. Because you're protecting the one thing. But second of all, you can't get better ever. And I think the stuff I did years ago was garbage, basically. And if I don't think that in five years, then I've stopped growing. I should probably think what I'm doing right now is garbage in five years. Or at least the majority of like the technical skill behind it, if not the yeah. concepts. I don't want to go as far as saying, you know, you should think that all of your work from five years prior is well, co- garbage. Well, code just evolves really fast. That's Okay, yes. In coding, you, in that you particular do look at your example, previous code and you're like, okay, that, that could Other things so may better. not evolve so quickly. But I think about, you know, blog posts that I wrote five years ago. I could certainly do better now, but I don't think that they're garbage because I don't want to, I don't want to start believing that my prior work is valueless. I want to be able to look at that and say, I would still feel proud sharing that with somebody because I think it's going to help them. And I know that, you know, because of the breadth of the work that I do, I can't spend every single day making a newer, better version of that thing I made five years ago. No. Like if I made a blog post on this, you know, a specific topic in habit building five years ago, and right now I'm working on something else, I can't just drop that because I'm, you know, worried that because there's five years between now and then, that is worthless. Yeah. So I think it's more a case of viewing or hoping that you can view your current work as better and as a step up yeah. than that old work. I was basically only viewing the coding example where yeah. when I look back, I'm just like, I could do that so much more efficiently with the mm-hmm. exact same thing with writing and more in like the creative aspects of stuff. Right. Like it's less less changing mm-hmm. i think well i think it's fun it's fun to say my old work was garbage but also i'm just being cynical about my old code it's fine yeah it's it's fun to say that it's fun to be self-deprecating but in reality like that work had a purpose and it it you know it served the purpose yeah it was a you milestone know? on the progress toward getting better at stuff yeah which i hope i never stop doing if i were to seriously feel that all my work was garbage then that would mean that i was not properly serving say all the clients i used to work for in web development like, oh, you know, that was so bad that I should give you a refund. In fact, uh, there's a website and I can't remember. Oh, it's it's actually a subreddit. There's a subreddit out there and I, I'm going to try to put it in the show notes because I can't think of the name, but it's basically a subreddit of people being super entitled. I think it's called like Choosing Beggars or something like that. Oh, Choosy Beggars. I've I think seen, it's that. Yeah. I've seen one of those. So there's one where this this person had bought an art commission from somebody and then six months later, they message this artist and they say, 
hey, I would like a redo of the art. And the person's like, why are you messaging me so late? Did you not like it? What's the deal? And they said, no, it was fine when you gave it to me, but now your skills have improved and I think I'm entitled to a new version of it they because you're better. They want a retroactive better. refund, yeah. basically? Yeah, it was the like, most nonsensical thing I've ever read. It was ridiculous. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's and dumb. They were getting mad. They were like, you're ripping me off. If you don't redo this for me, you're ripping me off because you're so much better now. You know, now, I'm, now I have something that's not even worthy of your skills. I've, I've been ripped off. It's Did like, they buy a subscription? <laughs> is, is that a new business model for Ooh, emerging artists? There we go. To Freelance form the subscription model, I yeah. will redo this and make it better every five years. You just have to <laughs> You have to keep paying me. I'm on retainer for this. Yep. But when I retire and my skills start to slip, you have to accept my newer, crappier versions too. That's, yeah. That's the deal. <laughs> it evolves and devolves with me. <laughs> Life happens in cycles, man. Yeah. But yeah, I found that ridiculous. So again, I don't want to say my past work was garbage, but I should be seeing a constant, you know, path of improvement happening. You should hopefully be able to say, I could constructively criticize a lot of what I've done before. Yes. You know, and it's, it's, it doesn't have to all be completely bad. It's, it's mostly just little things like mm-hmm. uh, maybe I could have phrased this more eloquently. Exactly. Or maybe this could have been split up into a couple of functions and it would have been more clever or, mm-hmm. you know, anything. So... Here's, I think, a really useful mental hack for not taking personal offense or getting defensive when somebody else criticizes your work. Look at work you did a few years ago, and you're naturally going to criticize it. You're going to immediately pick out things that you could have done better, and you are going to feel 100% fine about that. You're not going to feel defensive for your past self. You're going to think, well, duh, I should have done that better, but... Now I've learned and now I know better. You know, there is no way that that version of me would have known. So acknowledge and for a couple of minutes, like dwell on your feelings about your own criticism of your past work. And then try to apply that to criticism you receive from other people. Because, see, there's a difference. Like you get criticized by other people and you naturally want to be defensive. But when you criticize your own work, there's none of those feelings there. You know, why is that difference there? I think it's because when we have an external source criticizing us, we view it as a threat. It's kind of like a biologically, you know, hardwired piece of our, our minds. But if you can if you can bring that contrast up in your mind in the moment, I think you're going to have a better time coping with that criticism. Yeah. You can just view it as this is the same as me criticizing my own work. This person probably has a perspective I don't have, and it may be due to the fact that they have more experience. Yeah. You know? Um. So one thing that I thought about a long time ago, and I remember specifically thinking about this in terms of like an algorithm for dealing with criticism, like certain steps um, and, you know, certain like ways of comparing the criticism to or seeing if it's valid, I guess. I remember thinking about this while driving back to Ames one day when I was in college. This was pretty early in CIG's history uh, because not all criticism, not all criticism is valid, right? Yeah. Some people are going to criticize your work from a position of, you know, animosity because they're just mean or because they're trying to feel better about themselves or because, you know, what makes them feel better about themselves is is trying to feel superior to you by criticizing your work. I think a lot of people don't criticize things from a place of uh, benevolence, from a place of giving and generosity and trying to help people. A lot of people criticize things from a place of wanting to make themselves look smart or look like they're the expert. 
Yeah. Uh, sometimes people just don't have the expertise, so they are naive and they're going to think you should have done it this way when you know that doesn't work, and you probably know why that doesn't work. Uh, and then, as we've seen a million times on the YouTube channel, there are always people who say, "Tom, you talk too fast. Tom, you talk too slow. Speed it up." Obviously, yeah. you can't. Both are useful <laughs> criticisms, but you can't do both. Exactly. Yeah, so you I have can't to balance it. I can't slow down my speech and also speed up my speech. That's you know contradictory. So yeah. I just have to choose which one. So when thinking through this, I think it's first useful to ask yourself, what is the intent of the person criticizing my work right now? If the intent is to hurt me, whether it's because they are sadistic and they are a bully or it is because they're trying to build themselves up, then that criticism isn't worth even thinking about for more than like a second. So obviously there's like some emotional work you have to do on yourself to be able to move past that and to be able to stifle those those feelings of hurt and move on. But logically you can tell yourself that criticism isn't worth my time. It isn't worth my consideration. I'm going to move on from it. If the criticism comes from a position of the person wants to help you, then you can move on. Then you can start to ask yourself, is this criticism worthy? You know, does it actually make sense? Should I implement it into my work? And sometimes you're not going to be able to answer that question. Sometimes you don't have the knowledge to know whether or not that criticism is valid. And sometimes you will. So I think there's this process of building up your own judgment, which at the end of the day is, is the most important thing because that's your center. But when you first immediately receive criticism, the, the number one thing you have to do is, is gauge the intent. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to see everything as a threat or you're going to see everything as valid. And, you know, it's just going to waste a lot of your time. Yeah. You're going to be very stressed out. On the other hand, though, don't entirely dismiss negative criticism. Just dismiss it more quickly because even if somebody's just a terrible, horrible jerk of a boss or something – they may have a point on accident if yeah. you take this tiny piece of it. I saw something online where they were suggesting um, take the criticism, rewrite it in your own words. So you take out all the offensive part. Mm. You know, just what would this look like if it was just nothing but a phrase on the work itself without the attacking yeah. pieces? And you can't think about it while you're emotional. That's not going to help. Like mm -hmm. you said, I know you're right, but I'm mad right now. <laughs> so, yep. like, just just leave it. Come back to it later. And I think an important thing to know is that sometimes it may be that they don't understand your project or what mm -hmm. you're what perspective you're doing. And that is sort of a subtle criticism, that an unspoken criticism, that you're yeah. not expressing what you're trying to do well enough. So okay. maybe if you're excited about this project you're working on or this picture you're trying to make and they're like – Oh, uh, something. I don't like uh, that ladybug position. I'm just – the only thing I could think of was a picture I did. But then <laughs> – but like I like that photo because of the perspective because mm -hmm. it looks like it comes from the perspective of another insect. But if people get confused about that, that might say, oh, somehow that intent was not obvious enough. Is, yeah. is that on me or is it just that they aren't as interested in this topic? Because mm -hmm. sometimes it might be on you. You didn't explain what you were doing well enough. Otherwise, they would have understood. And that's an opportunity for you to gauge your intention with the work that you're doing. Because maybe you don't care what the audience thinks. Maybe it is purely your artistic vision and whether or yeah. not the audience enjoys it is a byproduct that, you know, you could take it or leave it. Uh, but if your intent is to make something that should hopefully get a good audience reaction, then yeah, absolutely. You want it to be understood if you're, mm -hmm. if you're making it for the people. 
Mm -hmm. And I do want to clarify that first step in the process, you know, that difference between people trying to hurt you and people actually trying to help you. If a message is negatively worded, that doesn't automatically mean their sole intent is to hurt you. Yeah. It just might mean that they haven't really worked on their compassion and their ability to communicate in a compassionate way. They may be a little bit of a jerk or maybe a little bit of an abrasive keyboard warrior, but it doesn't mean that they don't have valid points. So you do have to learn to deal with the tone and the way that people deliver what they're saying. And if it's emotionally hurtful, you just kind of have to build some armor against that. But if you get a comment that is purely hurtful, you know, this is stupid. You should delete your channel. Yeah, that's pointless. Like, that's that is nothing. completely pointless. That's not a real criticism. And it is most likely that that person is only saying that because there is something going on in their life that, you know, makes them feel bad about their own life. I This is how I feel every single time somebody writes a just 100% purely hurtful comment on my YouTube channel. That's just me. Does it, uh, all, every, it's every, all you? Every time. No all accounts. All a bunch of fake accounts? <laughs> every time somebody is just like, this channel is stupid or this isn't content or something stupid like that or, you know, profane words that I can't I don't know what that or means. should, you know, I wouldn't even want to, um, you know. Re- we we shall on, not sully this podcast. content with the words of these scoundrels. Exactly. Yeah. I don't want to repeat those on the podcast. But every single time I see a comment like that, all I can feel is pity for that person. Because I know if somebody had their life together, if they had a vision for what they wanted to do, if they were motivated, if they were happy, they would not spend their time doing that. So I don't feel bad about myself because I'm confident in the content I put out there. I don't think it's infallible and I don't think it's perfect, which is why I pay attention to the real criticisms. But when a person just hurls a stupid insult at me, I can't help feeling just that, you know, they're going through something difficult in their lives. So... Sometimes I will have a snarky reply, but when I do have enough self-control and I'm actually thinking about this clearly, I tend to reply, are you having a bad day? Like, Sarah Silverman does this a lot. What's going wrong in your life, man? Because like, you wouldn't make this comment if everything was going well. I don't spend my time going and hurling crappy insults at people. Well, that's because I have Why I have would you be on the video? I have a purpose, you know? Exactly. And if, if I'm going to put things out into the world, obviously I wouldn't just you know poop on somebody else's stuff that they're putting out into the world. Yeah. So I think you have to start to realize, like, if anybody is hurling insults at you, it's because they're hurting inside, whether they know it or not. Well, and I think a lot of these people have convinced themselves that they are not hurting inside and that they are superior and smug and all these I'm things. I'm not the problem. It's literally the world. That's yeah. The pr- it's everyone else. Everyone it's not else me. is just stupid. I'm just smarter than the whole human race. Yeah. Duh. Exactly. You know, actually, I remember um, something that – one of my dad's friends said once he was like railing on politics and saying everyone was stupid. Oh boy. And then once he, somebody was just like, yeah, there's just all these angry old guys. And he's just like, I am an angry old guy. <laughs> like it was like a rare moment of self-awareness. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> it's like, you may think you still have valid points, but the reason that you're expressing yourself in the way that you are is because yes, you are an angry old guy and you wish things would go back to the way they were. Yeah, it's not purely that you think you're right. So there are like two pieces to to all the complaints. There's there's the attitude. Is it negative or positive? And then there's the actual content of the criticism. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's negative and there's no content like just this is a dumb video. That's not there's nothing to go off of there. Okay, I'll just I'll make a video about turtles. Is that what you wanted? Maybe that's what they wanted. (laughs) I have no idea. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's negative and it's good. 
And, uh, you know, I'm probably not going to make a, a habit of coming up with Marvel references all the time, but I just thought of one where um, in Iron Man 2, uh, Tony is all, like, snarkily telling Whiplash, like, yeah, you could have doubled the power cycles and you do to do and stuff, and later he calls him and he's like, <laughs> that was good advice. <laughs> I doubled the cycles. I remember that, yeah. And, like... You know, clearly he meant it negatively because he was trying to say, yeah, I'm smarter than you, yep. but it was good advice. That's true, yeah. Sometimes the teacher is a jerk, mm-hmm. but it's because they have to answer questions that they feel are inane all day. You know, yep. it's, it's sometimes you can get good stuff from there too. Yeah. So I want to talk about finding your center and getting clear on what you want to accomplish with your work. Because the problem with criticism is especially when you're doing work that is highly visible by a lot of people, it's going to come from all sides. And like we said before, it's going to be highly contradictory. So what do you do to make sure that your work retains the original spirit that you intended for it to have and that it doesn't get stuck trying to pull itself in so many different directions because of all this criticism you're trying to act upon? Yeah, how do, you, how do you filter it out so that you're not trying to please everyone? Exactly. You know, going back to the whole like fast versus slow thing like that. Or there's a lot of people who, you know, a lot of times I think criticism can come in the form of suggestions that aren't criticisms of your current work, but they're requests for you to maybe expand your current work. So people might say, I wish you would daily vlog, Tom. And I have to tell myself, you know, that would be great, but it's kind of uh, counteractive to the mission of putting out really good, high-quality research content. I can't do both. So I think you just have to you have to take every piece of criticism and ask yourself, does this actually further my mission? Yeah, and the only way you can do that is because you have clarity yeah. on the mission. You know the videos I'm doing are a higher priority, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm trying to do. You know, and if somebody was like uh, on, my, on my photos, if they were like, hey, uh, you should do wedding photos or something – I don't want to take photos of people at all that I can think of right now, at all. It's just not what interests me. So while that would be, you know, it could be good advice. Maybe I'd be really successful at it. But because I know that's not what I want, Mm -hmm. I can safely say, that's a fair point, but no, no thanks. Yeah. And hey, there are a lot of people out there that are taking photos of people. Yeah. In fact, I think that's where my interests lie in photography, like, when we went to the gardens, I definitely took pictures of plants and stuff, but... Were you creeping on all the people walking in the gardens? No, not all the people walking <laughs> okay. in the gardens, but, like, I wanted to take pictures of you and Anna more than I wanted to take pictures of the gardens, just because I find that more interesting. I do have a certain aesthetic. <laughs> I don't know what that aesthetic is, but it's <laughs> but it's, it's a certain one. It is aesthetic with a space in between every letter of that word. Of course. Aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, but just... Like, my Instagram, I think, reflects that, even though it's mainly pictures of me. I like pictures of action and pictures of people doing things. Yeah. I really appreciate nature photography, and I like your Instagram a lot. But when I think of the kind of content that I want to create, it isn't that. So we could criticize each other's Instagram feeds filled with really good (laughs) advice about what we truly think Mm -hmm. is good content, but can be completely wasting our time because neither of us should follow that advice. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to ask you uh, if if you have the memory to talk about this, what were some of the things that actually helped you get to a position where you didn't feel so defensive when taking criticism? 
Oh, man. Uh, didn't prepare this one. Um, let me think about this. I can't actually think of a lot of criticisms in mind, so I feel like okay. I must have let go of most of them at some point. Mm. Uh, I think a large part of it was merely the becoming more humble in general and slowly realizing how much I was wrong about a lot of things as like yeah. a teenager, like we talked about in the 10 things we tell our 18-year-old selves. Mm-hmm. A lot of the social things, you know, like, man, I was really cynical. Man, I was really bitter. Man, I was not nearly as smart about relationships as I for some reason thought I was. Right. Like all of that stuff. And I started realizing, actually, I don't know a lot of things and uh, that's okay. And I want everyone to be able to teach me something. Okay. I want that. And if somebody gives me something that I can improve, I should actually feel very lucky because out of all the people on the planet, I just ran into one who gave me a shortcut to, to, to yeah. new knowledge. Mm-hmm. It could have been anyone. I could have ran into somebody else who was crazy and tried to mug me. But instead, I ran into somebody that gave me a shortcut to improving myself. And since I have a limited time on this planet, shortcuts to improving myself are appreciated. Yeah, those are helpful. It's, uh, I think it's a large part, in large part, due to my movement toward sort of the whole present-mindedness, drinking tea, meditating, uh, all of my dabblings in alternative diets, largely not eating meat for many years now. Yeah. All of these things have made me a more calm and, like, observant person. And I'm willing to accept that there are tons of things I don't know. As far as even code goes, something I consider myself good at... I consider myself good at the area that I am good at, but modern web development that's not using the same techniques, like there's a lot of modern stuff, Mm -hmm. all these new trends, I have no idea. No idea what's going on. I'm just like, what are, there are like 10 million JavaScript frameworks and I have no idea. I'm going to gouge my eyes out, actually. I've decided to live in the woods and be blind now (laughs) so that I never see this confusing stuff. Somebody was asking me an email. They were like, you know, I need to learn PHP and MySQL for this job. What do you recommend? And I went over to Code Academy to see if they had anything on those topics, and they don't. They have all these courses on these new JavaScript frameworks and all this crazy stuff that I've never heard of and nothing on oh, PHP. Oh, they're, they're cool, but, like, I am sure <laughs> I could have a conversation with Will and have no clue what he's saying. That's true. I'm sure that I could. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it would be very hard. And and maybe that's also an effect of being somebody who is in code and computers mm-hmm. because unlike, um, say, painting, maybe painting, the techniques evolve over time. But code evolves so quickly Real that quick. I have only graduated several years ago mm-hmm. and have already I already feel like I've missed like a decade's worth of coding stuff the other people are doing. Yeah. The people who live and breathe code. I mm-hmm. can't even can't even speak to them now. Yeah, and this kind of reminds me. It's humbling. Um, there's a specific brand of criticism that I really appreciate getting, even though it hurts because all criticism actually hurts in the moment. Uh, you know, three years ago, I'd put out a video that's, you know, made a certain way. Maybe the thumbnail's made a certain way. It's edited a certain way, and it's great. It does super well. But if I spend the next three years making nothing but those kind of videos, then I'm not growing and eventually I become a character a caricature of myself. So yeah. when I get criticism along the lines of Tom's run of ideas or you oh, know, no. you've been making the same kind of content, or why don't you go try filming outside for once? You know, of course there's always that that animalistic 
primal initial reaction, like system one, how dare you say that? I put so much work into this and look how much success I've had. I have a million subscribers. Yeah. And you, what do you think you're talking to? You know, there's, there's that kind of thing. But you kind of have to quash that because there's a more rational side of the brain that can look at a comment like that and think, am I stagnating? Is there something that I could be doing to push the envelope? Because obviously, if I had the skills to produce a video of this caliber three years ago, why is it still of this caliber? The yeah. only answers can be that my skills have not improved or I'm not utilizing my newly improved skills to make better work. Yeah, or maybe you had the video outside, but it was three videos ago and the topic was a little obscure. So the reason they didn't think you've done that mm -hmm. is because they just didn't bother to click on the topic. And you can be like, why do they have a misconception? Oh, it's because of this reason. So yeah. I already gave them what they want, but if I repackage it, mm -hmm. they may realize that I have it. That's a very good point. I get a lot of comments from people who are asking for videos that I actually made two years ago. And I think you said something like uh, along these lines earlier in the podcast. You know, questions like that or criticisms like that, they aren't so useful on the surface because you're like, well, I already did that. But there's something yeah. underneath that's unsaid, which is that, you know, this person wasn't able to easily find the answer they were looking for, which means that you could improve some aspect of, you know, the information system that you've built to deliver your content. So if you get criticism that clearly shows the ignorance of the viewer, that should tell you that you could be doing something better to help educate them. Yeah. Or if you're running a business, you could do something better to make your design more intuitive or to make your product easier to use. Yeah, like most of the time the customer is right, but they may not actually know why they're right. Yeah. They think this is the problem they want to solve, and you're just like, why do they not think I've solved that? Mm -hmm. Oh, because the UX is horrible. Yeah. Well, that would explain it. It's an unspoken criticism that even they couldn't tell you themselves. I was actually thinking about this yesterday. So, you know, I got this Nutribullet blender for making uh, smoothies in the morning. Yeah. And it doesn't have an on switch. It doesn't have like a blend. You know, most blenders have buttons on them for doing things. Yeah. What you got to do is you just, you know, put the lid with the blades on the little cup and you stick it in the blender and there's and these three like little tabs. It. So you press them down to the tabs and then you turn it to lock it. And that's what turns the blender on. So I was thinking to myself, okay, that design is pretty intuitive, even though it doesn't have an on button or anything. It's pretty intuitive because there is the cutouts for the tabs and there's the tabs on the cup. So, you know, yeah, they, you fit see there, they fit there and then it, you, know, you push it and you twist it. But I was thinking to myself, okay, the push and the twist, that's two specific moves have, you have to do in a specific order to actually get the blender to turn on. What if the tabs weren't there? How many people would actually be able to figure out how to turn that blender on? Like if there wasn't quickly. the visual cue to stick it in there? Exactly, because there could be any number of different you know, moves. And if it's a sequence of two moves, then you may never actually end up in state one and then be able to get to state two from state one. You might try state one and be like, well, that didn't work. I got to try something else. So you know, from the designer's point of view, they designed it so they know exactly how it works. They, they forged the path so they can clearly see the path. Uh, you know, so in their mind, it's like, well, it's so obvious. You just you push it down, you twist it. Blah, duh. But from somebody's perspective who didn't forge the path, they don't see one path. They see 100 bazillion potential paths. Yeah. So in design, you have to make visual cues. You have to make things intuitive to use. Yeah, so those again, tabs are really important then. Yeah. Because if the, they weren't there, even if you if you did it, like maybe it would start and you'd be like startled. And you'd be like, ah, how, how did <laughs> yep. I was just putting the cup in. I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm.
and I can't think of an example right now, but I know that there have been many products or you know web apps or iPhone apps that I've interacted with over the years that aren't designed so well, and you know things are not super intuitive. So you're just like fiddling around for a second, and maybe you figure it out eventually, but you can bet that if it took you a little bit to figure it out, then there's some user out there who never figured it out, and they left and they deleted your app, and you yeah. just lost a customer. So criticism that seems like ignorance is an opportunity for improving the way that you educate or the way that you design things, yeah. the way that you present things. Uh, so I know I asked you about how you started dealing with the emotions that come with criticism. Um, I'm not sure if you thought anything of anything yet, but I will talk about the thing that always comes to mind when I think about this particular topic. So many times in this podcast, I've talked about reading Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, which uh, for anyone who doesn't know, this is a fan fiction written by an artificial intelligence researcher who has like a math PhD. And he essentially wrote it uh, to get people interested in rationality and in human cognition, heuristics, biases, all these kinds of things that you know researchers like Daniel Kahneman have talked about for many years, but have talked about in the form of very long esoteric papers or books like uh, like Thinking Fast and Slow for the video audience here, which, you know, it's a book that has a publisher, so it's definitely more palatable than your average university journal publication. But it's, you know, I've read it. It's kind of dry. It's just study result after study result and then, you know, some conclusions, which is great, but a story that gets you interested in these things does such a better job at, you know, helping you wade into the shallows. Yeah. So I read that book. It's, well, I guess it's a fan fiction. It's not, it's not really a book because you can't buy it in print. J.K. Rowling would have something to say about that. Uh, but essentially it's, it's the first Harry Potter book, but written as, written from the perspective of Harry Potter being a boy genius who is viewing magic as science and who thinks about rationality and cognitive biases and stuff like that. Yeah. I greatly enjoyed it. And it got me into this whole world of researching human cognition and researching the, the brain bugs that we all have. So part of that journey brought me to something called Bayes' rule. And Bayes' rule is this mathematical equation that is it's part of the, the science of probability. And the whole point of Bayes' rule is to figure out what, um, you know, what is the exact precise answer to any question. And... It is a formula that allows you to take your prior beliefs about something, input new evidence, and figure out the exact degree to which that evidence actually shifts your prior your prior belief, if at all. Uh, and this is useful because a non-Bayesian thinker will either be prone to putting too much stock in their prior beliefs, which leads them to reject things that don't fit their worldview, or a lot of people actually have the opposite problem where they are susceptible to what's called the recency bias, where the most recent information tends to be the information that is believed or acted upon the most. So if you can, and you don't have to do math for this, but if you can start to think from what they would like to call a Bayesian point of view, you start to build this mental framework where any piece of evidence that comes into your life, you know, that, that interacts with the belief you have, you start thinking, how does this actually shift my belief? And to what degree does it shift my belief? Yeah. So for some reason, and I don't know why, because this is a weird math equation, I was really fascinated with the the whole idea behind it, and it became a part of my consciousness on a daily basis. 
So when I started receiving criticism after reading that book and really getting into that whole area of study, I started asking myself, how much should that criticism shift my beliefs? Instead of thinking, I should do that, screw my prior beliefs and how I was doing it before, or that's stupid. Yeah, that way nothing nothing shifts you too far back or forth and you have whiplash every time you go out to make a video. Exactly, yeah. It's just, it's a way of, of processing criticism as effectively and as accurately as possible. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So that that's one thing that's really helped me out. I'm not sure if anything else come to mind, um, came to mind for you. I guess I would say that for the so the for the emotional aspects, you get offended, um, you you don't like it, and I think in a lot of cases, this is probably because you respect the person criticizing you, or you just want their acceptance. Maybe if they're an anonymous audience member, mm-hmm. you want them to validate what you're doing, accept it, appreciate it, uh, something to that effect. So. First, you got to leave the situation. You you don't you don't just run away. You know, I, I don't mean literally leave the situation, yeah. but don't think too much about the criticism for a little bit. Maybe you know, go for a walk or something. Then think about it in your own words. If I was telling this to myself, how would I say it? Stripped free of all the things that made me feel bad. Mm. And then, the thing is, use that to improve it. And maybe what you need is to go back to that same teacher and be like. How's this? I tried to do this. Now it's collaborative. You're asking them for further criticism. Okay, it's not unwarranted. Yeah. You're saying, please, is it a little, do you think that this is moving forward? And they might say, well, actually, it would move forward better if you did this. Or, yeah, actually, that's a lot better. And either way, now it's collaborative yeah. improvement of your own work. You're not going to feel as bad about it. And maybe you're going to completely forget that they offended you in the first place because now that they've accepted you, you're like, oh, yeah, that's all I cared about. Yeah. We're good. But it, it wants to feel – you want it to feel like, listen, we're improving my work because I said we're improving my work. <laughs> You're a little more in control now. I said the terms here. It was your idea. Yeah. So you shouldn't be surprised. And also it maybe will seem less offensive because I don't see – you know, could you help me improve this a little bit? Uh, yeah, it's all garbage and I hate you. It's the worst <laughs> thing. I feel like if you're – like respecting their expertise or mm-hmm. opinion and saying, I, I really want to know what you think. They're not going to fill it with all the negative things. Yeah. You know, at least if they are, maybe you should probably not listen to them because they're just really mm-hmm. mean. But I think that they're going to be nicer about it because you're showing deference to their opinion and that validates yeah. them. So in turn, they can validate you and you both learn things. That's true. And yeah, and when you're inviting in criticism, it, it is not perceived as a threat, I suppose. No, you've already also, opened yourself and you've said, oh, I know I'm not perfect. So if you tell me something that says I'm not perfect, well, that doesn't break it. Everyone here already knows. Yeah. I already told them. Yeah. And that actually works very well on YouTube as well because if their criticism is coming from a place of hurtfulness or just unwarranted smugness, allowing them to elaborate usually just lets them dig the hole further for themselves so you don't have to – you yeah. start slinging mud. You can just let them like have the mud backfire instead that they threw. Yeah, it's not going to get helpful to get all uh, emotional and like type a bunch of angry comments up because mm. then later you're going to be like, okay, I didn't actually think that through very much. And now, even though they just looked completely unfounded before, now I look dumb too. <laughs> we both look dumb. Yeah. You know, and I'm totally not perfect in this regard. Like sometimes I just can't help but typing something snarky. Human's going to human. Uh, But my idealized version of myself and the one that I try to live up to for the most part is the person who will 
ask for clarification on a stupid comment or ask, are you feeling bad? That kind of thing. You know, because I think those are the best possible answers. And this is something that that is a very, it's a core value in my relationship, actually. Whenever we get into an argument, whether it is based on criticism or something else, I try to think forward in time and ask myself, what are the choices I can make in this interaction that are going to make us a stronger couple afterwards? After all the emotions of this particular argument have subsided, have subsided how are we going to be better off in the future? Okay. I know if I say the snarky thing that is on my mind, I'm going to get a jab in and it might sting and I might feel good for a couple of seconds, but it's not going to help the relationship out. It's going to hurt it. So you got to like step outside of yourself for a moment and be like, you're mad. Exactly. You're mad. That's okay. You can be mad. But first, yeah, I got a pitch for you. It's called don't make this worse. <laughs> I think you have to think of your brain as kind of like a, a man with like a very large Doberman on a leash that just like is barking well, at rabbits. There's like, like you have to pull it back. <laughs> there's like this concept of a second self and I don't remember where it comes from. Some, you know, old philosophy, mm-hmm. but it's like, um, when you're trying to, what are you thinking about right now? There's a part of you that is observing what the other part of you is thinking. If I'm picturing yeah. an elephant, but then I'm like, Hey, I'm picturing an elephant. Then it's like, there are two of me and mm-hmm. one of them is simply aware of the other one. So you just need yeah. to, you know, be be a little more aware of what your other one is doing before it messes things up. There's a really cool article on Less Wrong about that called the the lens that sees itself, and it, it's kind of an argument for this is one of the big reasons that we are separate from all other life on Earth because we alone have the ability to actually self reflect and you know look inward and actually reflect on our thoughts, whereas all the animals, as far as we know, have thoughts i suppose but you know it's one dimensional yeah like metacognition is special exactly metacognition that's the word that's the word i'm looking for um and as you know for this this like second self concept um from a scientific or psychological perspective thinking fast and slow talks about this concept of a system one and system two in the brain so system one is your your limbic system it's your reptilian brain it's the one that tends to operate on instinct it tends to draw immediate conclusions from the environment and it's very useful but it is also the system that tends to make you emotionally you know flared up hot temper that kind of stuff and system two on the other hand is the logical rational side that can think through things more slowly it's the man holding the dog on the leash system one is the doberman that's you know trying to jump at the rabbit or the passerby So there's this constant battle of wills between system one and system two. And system two is the one that is better equipped to properly deal with criticism and actually benefit from it. Whereas system one can only see it as a threat and can only act defensively towards it. So you have to start working on your ability to let system one control system two. Yeah. And and not every single situation, like obviously if if a bus is coming towards you, you don't want to think, you know, sh- should I jump or should I not? Is life actually worth living? Well, no, well let, let me, let your let me consult Bayes' theorem. <laughs> let me consult Bayes' theorem let me write to down decide the whether this is a equation. good idea. Let me get no, my P's, you, you A, B. That level of self-reflection and control is important because it's the same way you're going to be like, oh, I'm craving cheesecake so bad right now. Don't eat the cheesecake. <laughs> Don't you do it. You know why you're craving it. It's because it's terrible for you. But my body says it's good for me. That's what it says right now. No. You can't, you can't do anything. No self-improvement will happen <laughs> if you can't start to, like, self-reflect and on purpose 
grow and control yourself a little bit. Yeah, exactly. All right, so I think this is this is a pretty decent discussion on this. Uh, so if we had to like wrap this up, how do we summarize it? Ooh. Um, well, how do you summarize it? That's a lot of abstract stuff. Hold on, <laughs> hold on. Oh man. Okay, so separate yourself from the emotional pieces. Okay. If that means saying I'm going to ignore that criticism for now and I'm going to think about it later when I'm calmer, remove yourself from the emotion because we don't process rational thought very well when we're emotional and we can right. be fully aware of it like you saying I'm mad right I, you're right but I'm still mad right now we we know mm-hmm. we're in the back of our head we're like we're wrong but we're mad still so separate yourself from the emotional part take a break maybe write it down in your own words so that it isn't even their words it's not even them now it's you criticizing yourself which yeah. is a little safer and if you chronically criticize yourself that's a whole different problem you know, yeah, and that's a but, confidence problem. Yeah, that's that's about. less perceiving yourself as a direct threat, and more you perceiving other threats outside constantly when they're not even there. But separate yourself from the emotion. Try to reflect on it and think: is is this valid? What is the attitude of the criticism? Is it negative or positive? Okay, that only gives me a clue as to the next part. What's the content of the criticism? Mm-hmm. The content is this sucks. That's not helpful content. So maybe next time you'll give me helpful content. Thank you. Or maybe it's you're talking too slowly. If everyone says that, that's an interesting point. Maybe I should consider it. Yep. And if it seems completely ignorant, like you said before, then maybe it's an unspoken criticism and I should consider coming at this from a different angle that makes it more obvious. Mm-hmm. And just accepting that criticism is important, uh, humility is important. Without criticism, we can't grow faster. We don't want to yeah. learn everything and reinvent the wheel all the time. If I want to learn physics right now, I'm not going to try and rediscover physics. I need somebody to tell me when I'm wrong about something. And similarly, I need people to tell me how to be slightly more right. Here's how gravity seems to work. Yep. Oh, thank you, because I was just going to figure it out myself. Mm-hmm. But that uh, it's going to take a little bit. You, yeah. you want people to tell you when you're wrong or right in certain situations. Without a teacher and without viewing anyone as a teacher, you prevent yourself from growing. Yeah, that's important. I think the fundamental thing to realize here is that criticism is an integral part of growth. It's and a shortcut. in fact, the, you know, all growth in life is almost like a, a combat of sorts. And there is pain involved. And there's being knocked back. And there's victories and losses. And you, it, without those losses, you're never actually going to learn. Yeah, and that's I mean, society. Yeah. The only reason that we can do this is because generations before us kept solving a new problem and then telling the next one. If I was like, shut mm-hmm. up, Dad, you don't know anything about what food is. I'm going to learn myself. <laughs> then we can't grow as mm-hmm. a species. We need to pass on lessons and accept that we have to learn them from someone. And actually, uh, I'm going to put this in the show notes. It should be on my Instagram by the time this is out. Uh, I went to this this like trampoline park the other day that has a bunch of gymnastics training stuff as well. And I was trying to teach myself backflips, and I've read up on how to do backflips in the past. So I, like, know the technique, but I didn't know know it. And you could see I had Anna film all my attempts. The first attempts, I'm jumping backward. I'm getting no height. It looks pretty bad. And, you know, if I weren't jumping into a foam pit, I would have been falling flat on my face. Oh. And then this little girl who was probably, like, 10 years old, she's just busting out backflips like it's easy. She sees what I'm doing, and she's like, hey – you need to jump up. You need to actually, you know, jump upward. Don't throw your head back immediately. You actually want to be looking at your knees. Throw your arms up more. And I watched her do it. I actually asked her to demonstrate it after she told me those things. And then you can see in the video, the next couple of attempts, I do those things, and it looks so much better. And I think 
it's now to the point where I think the only thing holding me back from doing real ground backflips is fear, which I can get over with more practice. But into the foam pit, you can see like, I probably would have landed it if it was in a foam pit. Yeah, and you had to, you know, the ultimate humility is understanding somebody younger than you, that your gut instinct is yep. to say, I know more than you, I'm older and smarter. But not in that subject. That's true. Wrong yeah. in that subject. They were the they were the senior. Yeah, I think that's important. Realize that whatever position of superiority you think you're in, whether it be the fact that you're older or that you have more experience or whatever it is, it may not invalidate the criticism you're getting from somebody who is younger or you know less experienced than you are. Because sometimes a position of naivete actually allows somebody to see something that you are blocking, whether due to that Einstellung principle where you know your your mental machinery you've constructed over the years actually prevents you from seeing something new, or whether it be because you never saw it in the first place and only a naive brain would pick that out. So yeah. Never think that your position of superiority, whatever dimension that it's in, invalidates criticism coming from a lower source. Yeah. Um, like we said, Bayes principle. So you don't have to do math here. You don't have to even think that it's Bayes rule, but do think how should this criticism shift my behavior or my belief and by what amount? And uh, going hand in hand with that principle, get grounded and get clear on what your goals are with your work or with the thing that you're trying to do because that will inform you as to what you should do when you receive criticism. Should you act upon it or should you disregard it if you are going to act upon it, to what degree? Um, and one thing that I didn't say explicitly in the episode, but I, I think it was implied at certain points, when you actually discuss with people who are criticizing you. When you actually discuss the, the criticism and you get into a debate with them, try to leave the interaction better than you went in and try to leave the other person better than when they went in. So again, you know, you're gonna feel like you want to get a snarky quip in. You're gonna feel like an ad hominem attack is 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 the way to go. But how can you come out of that interaction with a better relationship? And how can that person be better off having talked to you, even though they were the one that came in and maybe they were snarky in the first place? How can they be a better person because of what you chose to say and how you chose to reply? So your goal is no matter what, you kind of want to end up on the same side, even if it's we agree to disagree because this mm -hmm. is just what I'm trying to do or or we agree that I'm it, like taking your criticism into account and yeah. I respect it. I respect your viewpoint. Now they're on the same side as you. Exactly. Yeah. And then you're not, you don't feel rejected or nobody feels mad at each other. You're all on the same team. Yeah. Everyone comes out better. You're maybe doing something better now. Maybe you don't use the criticism, but we're all in this together and hopefully every interaction can make all of us stronger. And I think that's a pretty good place to end. Yeah. So Guys, hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Would love to hear your thoughts on this topic in the comments if you're watching yeah, this on Facebook. Please criticize. Yeah, please <laughs> criticize us, and we will we will try our best to use System 2. so I won't be mad now. <laughs> oh, that's true. It's not a threat anymore. Uh, so if you're watching this on Facebook Watch or YouTube, you can leave comments down below or wherever the comments field is. And if you're listening to this and you do actually want to check out the video feed, uh, you can go to facebook.com slash collegeinfogeek.com podcast or uh, youtube.com. I think it's youtube.com slash the college info geek podcast. If not, 
Those links will be in the show notes, which you can find as always at cigpodcast.com slash 215. And also just cigpodcast.com has the URLs to all those things. Yeah, if you Facebook, do, it'll, YouTube, it'll show Spotify, you Spotify, everything. It's all there. So that's probably better than me trying to memorize all these URLs. Uh, so check that out. Check out the show notes. We're going to have lots of different resources in there. And um, you can also go to our resources page to find our favorite books that we recommend. I should probably put Thinking Fast and Slow on there. I'm not sure if it's on there yet. Uh, we also have a dorm and college packing guide. So if you're going to college, if you're going to a dorm or an apartment or whatever, there's tons of gear and stuff that you may want to buy and deck out your dorm with that we've recommended there. We found the best possible resources. And lastly, we have a just traditional resources page with lots of apps and tools and things that we think are going to help you out as a student. So check out all that stuff at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Tom Frankly and Martin on Instagram and Twitter at Yo Martholomew. So uh, go and do that. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you in next week's episode. Take you.